Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Vecchi, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Reconciling Grace. On our panel today are Vicki Cundiff, Mick Wells, and Steve Wilson. That's our regular panel, and I'm kind of glad to have all of you here. It's always good to have a, a full panel. And uh, today's episode was brought about by a question that somebody not on our panel had. In fact, somebody thought that it might be an interesting thing to have a recurring theme kind of along the lines of what we've done in the past with um, do Christians need to dot, 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 or more recently we've been doing something about Christian sayings that that you might see on T-shirts or bumper stickers or what have you. This one is along the lines of what did Jesus mean or what did the Bible mean when it says dot, dot, dot. And the first one that uh, that we're bringing up is something that I thought of right when I heard that suggested topic is, what did Jesus mean when he said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? And before we get into that, I just want to let our listeners know that if you have a subject you'd like us to discuss, please let us know. We would love to hear from you. I think you'll hear more about that at the end about how to contact us, but we, we're not like people who come up with every single idea on our own. We want to know what's on your mind, and so we really invite you to share with us questions or subjects or topics, passages from the Bible that you would like us to discuss. So, as I said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 48. And I just want to ask... Um, what does it mean to be perfect in this life? Do any of us here in this room believe that we are truly, truly perfect, other than me? No, I'm joking. I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. And I like how Vicki laughed the hardest, because I guess maybe she's, she's maybe known me about the longest, I guess. I just know you're a jokester. Yeah, okay. And, and, and my jokes aren't perfect either, are they? Amen. All right. <laughs> um. None of us is perfect, are we? Not at all. I, I think that I've seen people play with semantics on this. What does perfect mean to one person? What does perfect mean to a Christian who relies so much upon God? I think clearly we can't work for our salvation, and by the same token, I don't think we can work to become perfect through our own efforts. Um, uh, my dad, uh, God rest his soul, <clears throat> used to hold to a, a tenet of, of uh, I think it has Wesleyan roots. It's called the doctrine of eradication. Um, he believed that when he got saved and, and sanctified that he no longer uh, could sin, in quotes. He's, I said, well, you know, you're not perfect, Dad. He'll admit that. He would have. But he said, I don't, make, I don't sin, I make mistakes. To me, that's semantics. Uh, I think the scripture clearly indicates that despite all we do to please God and, and to, uh, we're, we'll never be perfect, 
I think of uh, John speaking to fellow Christians. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then 1 John 2 verse 1 says, uh, same author here, or, or scribe, John, writing to fellow believers, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, it's acknowledging it's possible. Okay, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So I see the whole thing in terms of perfection as kind of talking about sanctification, which I believe is progressive, uh, because there wasn't any point in my life so far <laughs> that I feel like I've been either made perfect or are perfectly um, obedient to what God wants in my life on various levels. You know, a thought I keep having those, this is a command. He says, be perfect. And so it's, it's expected. This is something that, uh, you know, he, he wants us to be perfect. And how would you define perfect at that point? Because I think that's where the, uh, the, uh, the whole discussion flows. I can't be perfect myself, so the perf- it's like righteousness. The, the concept of perfection, I can't be perfect other than to follow the one who will eventually make all things perfect for we imperfect human beings. So to answer, though, what kind of perfection he's expecting, he says, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So now we have to think of, okay, what is Jesus talking about when he describes God as perfect? How is the Heavenly Father perfect, and how am I to mirror that? Well, the whole Sermon on the Mount, which is, this is in the midst of that, was all about Jesus trying to show them how to live this Christian faith. And that's why he'd say, you've heard it said, and he would talk about Old Testament phrases that they had mistook what the meaning was. And then he says, but I say to you, and he's giving them the right meaning to that, mm-hmm. uh, as we're going to get in, into some of these. But in this sense here, when he's saying to be perfect, it means about having maturity and, and wholeness. And, and so if you start with the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and you start going through this, and we're going to read some of these scriptures here that Pete has for us, but you start seeing he's trying to show them how to live. In other words, how to treat people. He's trying, and, and it's possible to behave this way that he's trying to say, and to be imperfect means having that perfect love of God in our heart, that relationship with Christ that matures and grows to where it becomes easier and easier to live like this, like he's telling us to live. And, um, you know, let's go a little bit out of order from what my notes are. Vicki, since you brought up the one scripture, it's the one that I was going to have you read in the first place about uh, you've heard that it was said. So why don't we start out by looking at Matthew 5, 27 and 28, and we'll come back to the other one, Mick, that I was going to have you read, but let's start with what Vicki said. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. To me, I think what sometimes begs the question is, it kind of goes along with some of the things that we've already been saying here today. Um, You know, what do we mean by perfect? Um, One of the ways that I wanted to phrase it was, how perfect do we have to be? You know, um, 
Steve brought up, well, perfect the way the Heavenly Father is perfect. Um, and and we, I think that we all agree that these are things that, that Jesus said, and when he says something, he means it, doesn't he? So yes, he um, what I see here happening, Vicki, in this particular passage in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, where Jesus has said, yes, it's been written about adultery, but I tell you, and then he expands on it, that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. So, you know, these people were kind of like, well, I'm pretty good. You know who I'm thinking of here is the, uh, they call him the rich young ruler who came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know, the commandments keep them. And the rich young ruler said, well, I've kept all of them. Oh, really? Okay. But according to whose standard? Was it was it God's standard or was it this man's own standard? Or was it the standard of the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, whoever were were the teachers of that day? So let's look at a few other things that, that uh, Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 5. So Mick, would you read for us? Verse... Can we just back up to that just for a moment? Oh, yeah. That, that scripture from the one on adultery. Um, I think, again, Jesus is trying to talk with us about how to treat people. Okay, so... I didn't go out and commit that act of adultery, but I just openly looked at that woman lusting after her. I whistled. I called out to her. I did all, you know, when you think about it in that sense, what kind of value are we trying to show to that person? You mm -hmm. know, so it's an inner thing, but it's also about how to treat someone else as well. Sure, sure. So obviously, if you do that kind of stuff that you just mentioned, um, you're not being perfect. Right. You're not being the way that the Heavenly Father is. Yeah. So, all right. Well, anyway, let's go on to what I was going to go on to is with uh, Mick, if you would read verses uh, 20 and 22 from Matthew chapter 5. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. How perfect does Jesus want us to be there? Perfect. I mean, it kind of goes right along with what, what we were just talking about, Vicki, what you just said about um, going to the inner self, going mm -hmm. to what's with what's with inside of us. Um, Steve, I've asked if um, you would read, again, still Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. As men said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And uh, we don't know anybody in this day and age who is professing Christianity who has um, ever gotten a divorce or something other than that, do we? Or married a divorced woman. Exactly. And, you know, Jesus actually elaborated on this uh, particular situation, for instance, uh, when he talked about it in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, where he said that the reason Moses gave you this um, permission to do this was because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning, 
God did not intend for divorce to be part of the equation. So um, Jesus is talking about, here was the law, but look, even that's not good enough to be perfect. Here is even more. Um, Mick, I had one more, verses 38 and 39. Would you read those real quickly, please? Sure. You've heard it, that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. This is almost one of them that you can do. <laughs> because, you know, you don't have to retaliate. Um, maybe some people do more than others. but um, or Would you be angry with them in your heart? Um, very possibly. Yes. I'm reminded, and I have a little quote here. I thought it was pretty funny. This is from um, Herbert Hoover, President Herbert Hoover's uncle. And he was a Quaker, and that's kind of a denomination that is very much about peace and nonviolence. But this was his quote. He said, turn your other cheek once, but if he smites it, punch him. Now, that's a little bit of a humorous way of looking at uh, this, and I think that's a good place for us to stop and think of that little humorous bit of uh, quote there while we take our quick break for our sponsor. And we're back with Reconciling Grace talking about the topic, what did Jesus mean when he said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? And we've just gotten done reading several passages from Matthew chapter 5 that explain how Jesus said, well, this is how the law has been interpreted, but I'm telling you, and then Jesus expands on it to make it even more difficult to be able to follow the law perfectly. And the question I have is, who can live up to that? Is it you, Steve? Can you live up to that? No, sir, I cannot. I don't think any of us can. Maybe Bob can. You know, he's back there behind the glass, so he doesn't have to um, talk about it. But I'll, I'll, just, I'll just venture a guess that Bob can't live up to it either. I know I can't. None of us can. That's the truth. Um, nobody can live up to that um, standard. So according to God's standards, nobody is perfect. But you know what this points out to me? That everybody, and I mean everybody, needs a Savior. And sometimes I really believe that this is how Jesus was describing it. It's like, look, if you want to do it on your own, you have to follow it this well. But if you can't, knowing that nobody can, follow me. I'm going to provide a better way for you. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore all these things. He's showing how God wants us to live. You know, Pete, I found it interesting, and I agree that none of us can live up to a standard of perfection but uh, a couple of verses there we looked at where it was talking about what I'll call thought crimes <laughs> and trying to deal with that. That's probably one of the hardest things for me to deal with mm-hmm. on a number of levels. Um, I was uh, so appreciative of finding the verse in Scripture. Uh, Paul told the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. He spoke of, and I'll paraphrase it here, taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I don't think I can do that. But he's, t- he's telling us 
that God's given us the ability to reject those thought mm -hmm. crimes and tendencies to think bad things. So I was encouraged by that, not in the sense that I'm going to be made perfect by taking captive every thought, but that's a tool mm -hmm. that God gives me to show uh, my dedication in obedience to him. Right. So I would put it, uh, going off what you said, Jesus says, if you look at a woman lustfully, it's the same as committing adultery. And I would say, you know what, I've been a Christian for a number of years, and I still notice a pretty woman. Sometimes the not-so-pretty women. I still notice those too. But I don't have to dwell on those thoughts. Right. And that's the part where Paul's talking about, take those thoughts captive, recognize they're there, and then shut them down. You know what I was thinking? Have, have you ever talked to somebody that said they took all their burdens at the end of the day, wrapped them up, and put them at the foot of the cross? Well, I think of it in the same manner. All these things that trouble me, I'm going to mentally wrap them up, package them, put duct tape around it, take, it, take those thoughts captive and say, Lord, I can't deal with these, and I'm going to put them aside, and would you just get rid of them? Mm-hmm. And there's one thing that I would like to stress here, too. Um, this is kind of a little bit off the subject, but since we've been talking about this whole idea of the thoughts that come into our minds, I heard an evangelist talk probably 20 years ago now, something like that. And he said something that was so wise to me. He says, you know, we're talking about the fact that we live in this imperfect world. You cannot go down the street without seeing sin. I mean, no matter what you do, we are in this world that is infected and affected by sin. That's how I say it. He didn't use those words. But he started talking about this idea of committing adultery in the mind. And he said the way that he came to understand it is this. We cannot control every single thought that comes into our minds. And just because you have a thought doesn't mean that you have sinned. However, he said he believed what adultery of the mind is, is this, that if you start thinking about yourself and how if the opportunity were to arise for you to be able to follow through with this thought that you would take it, then you've committed adultery of the mind. So in other words, it has to do with kind of Mick, what you're talking about with the dwelling on it or how you say, you know, bundle it up and put it at the feet of the cross. Or at the foot of the cross. There's only one foot, not feet of the cross. I guess the cross may have been a couple of feet wide. I don't know. That was really, really, really bad and really off the subject. But the point being that it's important, I think, for our listeners to know that not every single thought that comes into their minds or comes into our minds is meaning that we're sinning. But we're not perfect. We still do need a Savior. And so I'd like us to look at a couple other scriptures, actually three other scriptures. Steve, would you read for us uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 20? Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We become conscious of our sin through the law, but the law itself does not make us perfect. Following the law doesn't make us perfect. We're not perfect. We're not going to attain perfection that way. Uh, Vicki, would you read for us Galatians chapter 3, verse 11? Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. 
So again, here we see that the law is not going to justify anybody. We're going to live by faith, and that faith is in the fact that the Son of God died for us to forgive our sins, and that it's through our relationship with Him that He has reconciled us to God the Father. So again, I'm not saying don't try to follow these things that Jesus is saying, but we may not live up to that, but it's not whether or not we live up to it, it's whether or not we believe in Jesus whether or not we have him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. And Mick, would you read for us Galatians 2, verses 19 and 20? The word says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. By faith. We live for God. Christ lives in me. It's not the law that I'm serving. It's God that I am serving through Jesus Christ because I have died to the law. Also, that saying that I have been crucified with Christ means that I have died to myself, to my own selfish will and desires. So it's not about, about, did I follow this Thing perfectly? Did I follow it so perfectly that I never thought a lustful thought in my life? I never was so angry with my brother or that I called him you fool or whatever. It's about the relationship between myself and the Father through Jesus Christ. So yet Jesus said to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So what does it mean to be perfect? Well, I looked up the Greek and I've known this word for years and years. And in the Greek, I guess the best way to pronounce it would be teleos. Would that be correct, Steve? You had more Greek classes than I did. Teleos? 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 Yes. And the definition there is having reached its end, complete or perfect. And when you're using it as a perfect, it says complete in all its parts, full grown, and of full age, or especially of the completeness of a Christian character. And that's all from Strong's Concordance um, that tells us that's what that, that word means. Now, what does it mean to be perfect then? How, how can I describe this? Let me ask a question here. We don't use pencils much anymore. We use pens, or actually we use computers. It's going to be to the point where where people aren't even going to know how to write anymore. People don't even write cursive. But let's just say you get a brand new box of pencils. It's probably cardboard with about a dozen of them in there with, with some cellophane wrapping. And those pencils are just pristine. I mean, their erasers haven't been rubbed down. Or if you're like I was as a kid, they haven't been chewed down. Um, That's what I used to do. I used to chew on them. I don't know why. But um, sometimes, you know, people would chew on their pencils. Did you ever see tooth marks in pencils and stuff like that? I remember there was an old Charlie Brown one where he found that the little red-haired girl chews her pencil. And, you know, so she wasn't, quote, perfect. Um, But so the, the pencil, though, is pristine. But is it perfect? I would go as far as to say no, because it is not perfect in this teleos way of being perfect for the use for which it was intended. 
it's not perfect until it has the, the end sharpened off. So you can get to the graphite or the lead or whatever you might have in there, and it can be actually used to write, which is the reason that it was made. So even though maybe it has eraser partially bitten off or chewed off, or maybe it has tooth marks on it, maybe it's not as sharp as you want it to be, but still, if it is making lines on the paper or on the wood or whatever you're drawing on, that can be perfect for the use for which it is intended. And could that be what Jesus is talking about with us? Maybe we aren't exactly pristine. Maybe we haven't always acted things exactly the right way. But we can live for God the way he wants us to live. We can be his instruments. Anybody else have any comments on this? I think it's good to understand that maybe we're just not explaining, not us ourselves, but, you know, in our society, perfect, because people try to be perfect. They're never wrong. You know, they never make a mistake. They never going to admit to it. So they are trying to attain perfection. And they think that they're perfect because they never can admit that they did something wrong. But on the other hand, uh, you can still be perfect and be that person that's just humble enough to say, well, you know, that wasn't, I, I was wrong or, or something like that. So the perfection in, in our minds as a society or whatever, it, it, it kind of tends to never making a mistake, always thinking that you're right. But being perfect in the sense that he's talking about here is talking about what's going on on the inside. Like we said earlier about that maturity that comes through knowing God and the motives and intentions of why we're doing what we're doing, why mm -hmm. we're living how we're living. And like I said earlier, be, love being at the core because that's at the core of who God is. And he said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Love people, treat them with respect, treat them with kindness, be good to them. That's what I think that he's talking about being perfect here is being perfect in the sense of, what kind of person are we going to be to other people? And I think one of the other ways that, Vicki, I just thought of this as you were talking about this, you're talking about how the world will, will tell us about our imperfections. I think that there are people who are self-appointed fault finders, mm -hmm. and they will point out every single thing you do wrong. I mean, how often have I seen it, like, for instance, on Facebook, somebody misspells a word. And, you know, they might have this great thing that they're really talking about, really deep. And somebody said, you misspelled the word such and such, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> and really, I mean, I, I unfortunately, this is kind of like how I grew up being, being criticized that way to the point where I have had to personally deal with the fact that um, I, I don't like it when I make any kind of mistake at all because it was always, it seemed, pointed out to me. I could have done a 99% good job and somebody would have pointed out the 1%. And what I have found is that to be Christ-like, to bring this back to what you were saying, Vicki, is in my life, I have had to learn to not be that critical person, especially when it comes to treating other people that way. Mm -hmm. There's too many armchair quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. They want to wait till after the fact, and then they want to look and point out everything that you did or everything that you said. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, well, we have about one minute left, and I just want to hope that people will realize that this whole thing about being perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect, is pointing to Jesus. 
It's pointing to the fact that we need a Savior. It's pointing to the fact that, that Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us to God the Father. It's like that story I've heard, you know, well, how can I live to this perfection? How can I attain God? How can I be perfect and get into heaven? You can't. You have to rely on Jesus. And that's how we're going to walk into heaven is relying on Jesus. So we are just about out of time. So for Vicki Cundiff, for Mick Wells, and Steve Wilson, this is Pete Vecchi. Thank you for joining us again for Reconciling Grace. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace. Reconciling Grace.